Hi, and welcome to season three. This is not the episode we had planned for our first episode in season three, but because of technical, I can't speak already, because of technical difficulties, we're having to flip-flop some things around for now, and that's okay. It's okay. I kind of didn't have a lot of expectations for this year anyway. We're two days into 2021, I have a scald on my leg, plans have gone awry, and it's just a hard time all around. So if you're having a hard time right now, you are not alone, and please know that uh, we're we're here with you. We just hope your 2021 starting off better than ours. Yeah. No year starts off great for us, to be perfectly honest, because we're recording right now, and uh, it's the weekend of the anniversary of my mom's passing, and it's never an easy time. And it's been five years. That doesn't make it hurt any less. So if any of you are grieving out there, because I know a lot of you are, because COVID has robbed a lot of people of their lives, don't put a limit on your grief. Grieve as long as you need to. Absolutely. There is no such thing as a time frame for that sort of thing. So you do you and take your time and heal. But importantly, heal. Don't dwell in your grief forever. That's all I ask. Find things that make you happy and try to find joy in life again. But I'm going to leave that statement at that and Mm -hmm. uh, continue on. So, hello, dear non-homicidal friends, and fair warning. You might not want a snack during this episode unless you have a super strong stomach. I do not. Like an iron tummy of... An iron tummy, yes. That is what you need. Mm -hmm. That you can eat those flaming hot peppers and, like, nothing bothers you. Listen, if you can eat a Carolina Reaper... And not drink anything after. I think that's the kind of person that can handle a snack in this episode. But yeah. until then, maybe... But just a snack. Only a snack. Yeah, maybe, maybe not go overboard with your meals. Like, no steak and potatoes kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Because today we're discussing the consumption of human flesh, among other things. But welcome back. And if you're here for the first time... Welcome to Crime and Theory, a podcast dedicated to everything outside the parameters of normal. We are your hosts, Ashley. And Erin. Hi. Hi. It's weird. I get to wave now because yeah. before I was waving at nothing. Yes, I waved before we got a camera. It's fine. I'm yeah. not mentally present sometimes. It's okay. You know, we're all allowed to be weird. Yeah. It, you know, it, whatever helps... Whatever helps you get through life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and before we really get started, uh, I we have a just new like to, to the family. We do. I like to introduce my mugs to you, apparently, given the Christmas special, and I'm very proud of that Mothman mug. But one of my best friends, Kelsey, looking at you, <laughs> she named this mug, and he will forever be known as Slotholomew. So everyone, meet Slotholomew. And on the back it says, live slow, which... Bask in all of his adorableness. His handles, his arm. Yeah, I know. It's cute. My mama gave me this mug and I will treasure it forever. 
And for all the anime fans out there, Kelsey also got me a, a Gundam She's mug. She's just on Thank it. Thank you so much. Kelsey I is, freaking love it. Kelsey's on it. She can name things. She's artistic. She can pick out great gifts. Get you a friend like Kelsey. Yes. But not Kelsey, because she's my friend and you can't have her. No, you cannot. Okay, we are digressing. And <laughs> we are just stalling at getting into this episode. I am so sorry. I might clip some of this out. Who knows? But, listen. I know we don't typically cover more prolific serial killers around here, but here we are. This episode was requested by one of our other best friends, Justin. So, here you go. Do not ask me to do another serial killer again, though, because this has warped me forever. So, you're welcome, Justin. You destroy my mind in Dungeons & Dragons. Just let me have this from now on. I need something to hold on to. Because this episode really, it it sickened me. They all kind of sickened me, if I'm being honest, but this one just really got to me. And for all of you on YouTube land, you get to watch me get sickened because this is the first time I'm hearing any of this. But I don't know if you also noticed, we're a little bit more calm than last time because it's a little later and right now we just don't care. Mm -hmm. It's a good time. Where am I at? So anyway, this week we're covering the weirdest and one of the most disturbing humans to walk this planet, Jeffrey Dahmer. Let's get started. Sources for today are Biography.com, InvestigationDiscovery.com, History.com, Britannica.com, CrimeMuseum.org, and AETV.com. Because Jeffrey Dahmer is such a prolific serial killer, I kind of got to go with the main sources. Are you ready, Aaron? Oh, man. As ready as one can be. Listen, I'm pretty sure I've covered worse, if I'm being perfectly honest. It's just... This guy should have and could have been stopped sooner. That's all. That's all I'm saying. But let's get into it. Jeffrey Lionel Dahmer was born on May 21st, 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Joyce and Lionel Dahmer. Which is kind of cute because he had his dad's namesake. And I mean, listen, when Jeffrey was a baby, he was still innocent. I think it's cute. But it doesn't stay cute, obviously. Jeffrey was actually described as being a perfectly happy and healthy little boy in the first few years of his life. There was nothing wrong with him, which is bewildering. And it's wild to think of a serial killer being normal at any point in general, but being a normal child just, that doesn't click in my brain. That a serial killer could be a normal child? I don't know. But when he was about four years old, he had surgery to correct a double hernia And that's around the time that he seemed to start to become the loner weirdo that we know about today. Something in him just changed, and he became more and more withdrawn from the world as time went on. 
Some of the things that factored into this was the birth of his baby brother David and the family's frequent moving. Jeffrey's little brother came along when he was five years old, and at that point, any attention Jeffrey was getting went to the new baby. Jeffrey kind of grew to resent his brother for taking all of the attention. Which, I mean, that checks out. Five-year-olds kind of get a little bit bitter when the new baby comes along and get all the attention, right? that makes sense. Yeah. New baby in the family, all the attention goes, goes away from you. Yeah, I mean, you never had to worry about that because you were a twin. Like, you both got all the attention at the same time, but... Mm. But listen, it makes sense. Yeah. And Joyce, Jeffrey's mom, she suffered from severe depression, and Joyce attempted suicide. At least once. So that in and of itself could have also messed with Jeffrey a little bit as a kid who's trying to figure out the family dynamic and... Mom doesn't want to be around anymore. And being a kid, sometimes being a kid, you take that blame on for yourself, even though it's not your blame to take. I was was about to say, I was wondering if he might be putting that on his shoulders, like, Mommy doesn't want to live anymore. It's my fault. Right. And I don't think that's the case, because later when Jeffrey was interviewed after he got caught and everything, he never seemed to make that a point. Okay, so... None of but for some kids, that does happen. Yeah. So basically, he's saying, like, nothing that happened in his childhood traumatized him to any degree to make him who he was. was. Correct. Okay. And his dad, Lionel, was a research scientist, which meant that Lionel was largely absent from the family home. Which, of course, can also kind of mess with the kid. You know, neither of your parents are present to be parents. Because, you know, Joyce being in her depression and everything was not Joyce's fault by any means. Right, right, right. But because she was so consumed with her own depression, it made it hard for her to be there as a mother for her oldest son. And then your only stable parent is... At work all the time, so he's not there to... Right. ...be that stable rod pillar. Yeah, I I mean, I guess so. And the family, like I said, they moved a lot. And they moved especially a lot over the course of two years between the time when Jeffrey was six and eight. But eventually the family did settle in Bath, Ohio. So they moved to Bath, Ohio, and Joyce and Lionel were fighting pretty consistently by this point. And their marriage quickly dissolved, as it does when you fight all the time, right? Well, their marriage wound up in a messy divorce. That's the logical next step. And remember how I said that his mom's mental health and the constant moving and all of these things may have could have influenced Jeffrey as a serial killer, but didn't. Yeah. Well, Louis Schlesinger, who was a professor or is a professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, he's an expert in sexual serial murder, and he says that literally none of this childhood tragedy correlates with how Jeffrey was as a serial killer. So So, this has been backed up by an expert. Yeah. So like we said earlier, or like how I asked earlier, that did any of it 
roll over to make him who he was. Right. I guess that's the proof that right there. Answer. Like, it phased him It phased not. him not, yeah. <laughs> when Jeffrey hit puberty, that's when the problems really started. I mean, of course, from age five to puberty, he was distant, withdrawn, weird. But he hits puberty, and of course, that's when the hormones hit. Carl Wallstrom, who's a forensic psychiatrist who actually eventually interviewed and evaluated Jeffrey when he got caught, he said that Dahmer's libido was quote-unquote off the charts. For starters, Jeffrey was living in a time where being gay was not as widely accepted. And he quickly realized that he himself was gay. But he also realized that he found sexual satisfaction in wanting to harm men. That's not normal. No. And this fantasy was so bad that when Jeffrey was 13 years old, he saw a jogger in his hometown. And he became so obsessed and so overtaken with his lust for this jogger that he literally one day hid with a baseball bat somewhere along the jogger's route or root, or however you want to pronounce it, with the full intention of killing him at 13. Dear God. Thankfully, I don't know if it's, if something spoke to this man and said, hey, don't go jogging today, but thankfully the man did not go jogging that day, or at least did not take his normal route. And Jeffrey quickly moved on with his life. But that's how early the killing urges started, and that's how early those killing urges started to manifest. Physically, like in his real life. Right? At the age 13, he was already ready to be... A killer. Yeah. Yes. Whew, buddy. (sighs) Jeffrey himself said that his fantasies of murder and necrophilia didn't begin until he was about the age of 14, though. So I don't know how valid the jogger story is or if Jeffrey was close enough to 14 where all of that just kind of blurs together. I have a question. Sure. I might have an answer. I don't know. How does necrophilia kick into someone at such a young age? Uh, I don't think we have to ask at such a young age. I think we should just be asking how does anyone, how, how is anyone a necrophiliac? That's just you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm judging a, you if you are one. That is disgusting. That is a yeah. corpse. They they bloat. They uh, everything in the body relaxes so you you mm, yeah, exactly mm, guys really get help. Why would uh god. Yeah. I'm glad I I'm glad I didn't eat anything. See, That's I told you not gross. to snack. I told you. By this point, he was completely disengaged from everyone and everything. Jeffrey was tense and friendless for the most part, and he didn't stop there. He and his dad, don't judge his dad too harshly, okay? But he and his dad would literally bleach the connective tissue and hair off of rodent corpses when Jeffrey was a teen. Like, they would find ones that would die that had died under the house or they would find roadkill or whatever. And his dad, this is why I said not to judge him. Right. His dad wanted a basic, I'm sorry, rephrase. 
His dad thought that Jeffrey wanted a basic understanding of decomposition from, say, a scientific standpoint, because Lionel was a scientist. Right. I, that makes that makes sense. So Lionel just showed Jeffrey, thinking, hey, my son's going to grow up to follow in my footsteps. He's got an interest in science. Cool. No. He unfortunately and inadvertently wound up assisting his son in murder because he taught his son how to get away with it for a longer period. Oops. Yeah, that's a pretty big whoopsie doodle. Yeah. Jeffrey even had a pail of bones, which Carl Wallstrom, that I mentioned earlier, called a quote-unquote personalized rattle, and he said that the family called them Jeffrey's fiddlesticks. Yes, I said fiddlesticks. It's funny. It's kind of funny. I mean, listen, if you were talking about a, a bucket of pencils and somebody said, oh, it's his fiddlesticks, it's funny, right? And at least they were rodent bones. They weren't human bones yet. I am going to be playing the forest a lot more differently the next time. <laughs> oh, no. We're going to have a basket of bones and call it our fiddlesticks. No, we're not. It No. Oh, we already have a basket of bones. <laughs> oh, no. Yes. And trigger warning for all the dog fans out there, because being a dog owner and a dog person myself, my stomach was not settled by the end of this little story. Oh, no. <laughs> As a teen, Jeffrey found a dog, and I think this dog was already dead, but he uh, decapitated this dog, put this dog's head on a stick. I also heard that he put the dog's head on a cross, so I'm not quite sure if it was a stick or a cross made of sticks or what have you. But he put it in the forest behind his house. And just, I don't know if he just left it there or what, but he decapitated a dog. Super normal kid, am I right? (laughs) Was this... I'm glad we don't have children. Was this before or after the... uh, What is that movie? Kids are great, but with our luck, it would be Um, another Jeffrey Dahmer. What is that movie? I don't Where the kids are stranded on that island. Lord of the Flies? Lord of the Flies. That's a book. The movie was made after the book. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to keep things in correct order here. Hollywood steals from brilliant people. Thank you. But was Lord of the Flies out at that point? I feel like maybe. Probably. I can check real just, quick. That just reminds me. We're coming me. up on the half hour mark anyway. It really reminds me of when they put that that boar head or pig head, whatever, on Sorry the stick. Sorry, And it was supposed to yes, be. Yes, it came out in 1954. Okay. So Jeffrey may have even read it, for all we know. Oh no! What if that influenced him? Yeah, that's why. That's why I was asking. What if we're onto something? Because, I mean, the, that boar head, I think it was supposed to represent Satan or something. Or yeah, like, I don't know what it's supposed to represent. It. That that story is weird. But all I know is when I watched the movie, it really messed you up me a little out. bit. Yeah. yeah. That was a weird scene. Another story that Jeffrey later divulged to Wallstrom was about a tadpole that he had found, and he captured it. He gave it to his teacher as a regular, average, everyday gift. I mean, it's a little odd, but... It's just a tadpole. 
Yeah. It's not like it was a dead tadpole or anything. I think he just put it in a jar and said, here, teacher, here's a gift for you, a living creature. Okay. Well, the teacher didn't want the tadpole, and the teacher regifted that tadpole to another student who they thought would like it and, you know, take care of it. Sure. Well, Dahmer found out about it, and he felt so slighted that he literally made it a mission to go to that child's house, found the tadpole in the aquarium that the other child set it in. Okay. Jeffrey set about pouring gasoline on it and lit it on fire. That is one of the most toxic and abusive things I have ever heard. His, his mindset was literally, if teacher didn't want it, then nobody could have it. He set, he set that, stuff on fire out of spite. That is such an extreme. Yeah. Oh, Nobody Lord. taught little Jeffrey how to handle his emotions. Thank God he didn't have, like, a girlfriend that dumped him. Jeez. Well, remember, he, Jeffrey was gay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or, a, I guess, a boyfriend that broke it off with him. That's Good true. Boy, that he probably would have lit him on fire worse. That's true. Mm. Let's fast forward a little bit to 1978. It was a weird time. Now, how old does, does that make him now? 18. Okay. He was born in 1960. Well, 1978 was a super busy year for Jeffrey. He graduated high school, and by this time, Jeffrey was already neck deep in his alcoholism. Yes, he was also an alcoholic, a severe one. And he was only 18 when he was already a full-blown alcoholic. He was literally drinking as a young teen and onward. That's not good. No. But, I mean, if you think about it, mom wasn't there. Dad wasn't there. It was easy to get away with it. True. And 1978 was also the year of Jeffrey's first murder. He had already done some really disturbing stuff up until this point. But then he's like, hey, let's just take it to the next level, shall we? Just after graduating high school, Jeffrey picked up a hitchhiker. This hitchhiker was named Stephen Hicks, and Jeffrey took Stephen to his parents' house. And I think by this time, Jeffrey's parents had moved out and moved on. Like, his dad had already moved out and and moved on before this, getting remarried right. and whatnot. And I think Joyce left around this time, and Joyce took Jeffrey's younger brother, David, with her. So Jeffrey was all alone in the family's house. I feel like that was probably the smartest move, to take the brother away. You're probably right. So, Jeffrey takes Stephen back to the house, and he and Jeffrey get really drunk together. Okay, 18-year-old guy, it, it makes sense. Party it up, right? Well, when Stephen decided that he was going to leave the house, Jeffrey decided he was going to clock him in the head and then proceed to strangle him to death with a barbell. I don't know if he hit him with the barbell and then, like, strangled him with the barbell itself or right. clocked him with the barbell and then manually strangled him. I don't know how that worked. But either way, he knocked him out and strangled him to death. Jeez. Yeah. He then proceeded to dismember Stephen's body and packed the parts in plastic bags and buried those bags behind the house. 
Mm-mm. Good? Nope. Okay. He's not good, guys. Aaron's not good. It only gets worse from here. I know. Then after he had buried those bags in the backyard, Jeffrey got paranoid and he decided he was going to exhume those remains, crush up the bones with a sledgehammer, and scatter the crushed up bones across a wooded ravine. So he chopped them up, uh-huh. put them in little baggies, Yes. buried him all over the yard, Uh-huh. decided that wasn't quite enough. Correct. Dug them back up. Yes. Pulverized them. Uh Uh-huh. And scattered them to the four winds, if you will. Yeah. Man, that's overkill. That's a lot of effort. Yeah, to get rid of one person. I mean, he was desperate not to get caught. Yeah, but... Jeez. Then, things got kind of quiet on the homicidal maniac front. Jeffrey decided he was going to attend Ohio State University, and then after only a quarter of a term, he dropped out. And because he dropped out, Jeffrey's dad, Lionel, said, hey, Jeffrey, if you're not going to pursue education, then you need to sign up for the military. Those are your only options. So Jeffrey enlisted in the Army late December of 1978, and he was posted to Baumholder, I think is how you say it, in Germany, not long after that. So, our serial killer is now serving the United States of America. (laughs) That's a weird thing, right? That's a little weird. Jeffrey's drinking continued to be a problem, and his stint in the army only lasted about two years, when he was discharged in 1981. Now, here's the thing. I read somewhere that he didn't commit any more murders until 1987. And that he wasn't giving in to his dark fantasies while in the military. But that might actually might not actually be true. So Dahmer was a train was trained as a combat medic, which is as a side note, Dahmer is theorized to by some to be the guilty party involved in the Adam Walsh case. But if we ever cover the Adam Walsh case, we'll go more into depth on that then. But Willis Morgan, who wrote Frustrated witness the story of the Adam Walsh case and police misconduct interviewed Preston Davis, who took Jeffrey on a two-and-a-half-week army training exercise, right? Okay. Well, Willis Morgan says that Preston confessed to him that Dahmer, quote, gave him a drink that knocked him out at the end of the exercise. Jeffrey allegedly proceeded to sexually assault him And years later, Preston even filed a claim for PTSD due to the whole ordeal. So on Thanksgiving in 1979, while Jeffrey was still in the army, Dahmer, Davis, and the other soldiers decided they were going to celebrate the holiday together. No big deal. It's actually pretty normal. But there was an argument at some point over the sleeping arrangements that Dahmer was a part of. And after that argument, he left, walking out into a blizzard. Well, four hours later, it said that he came back confused, without his glasses, and if you don't know what his glasses look like, we'll show you. And his clothes were still warm to the touch, so he must not have been out in the blizzard for too, too long. So either he hailed a cab somehow, or he was close by. Jeffrey had blood on his jacket, and he told the others that he had no recollection of where he had been or what had happened. 
He explained, quote, I think I did something bad, but I can't talk about it, end quote. Then in 1980, Billy Joe Capshaw, who was 17 years old at the time, by the way, was Dahmer's roommate. He told Willis that only after a few days, Dahmer began to control him, locking Billy in their room at certain times. Dahmer would pleasure himself, if you will, in front of Billy as well. Mm. I'm trying not to get flagged by YouTube, if I'm being perfectly honest, but do with that information as you will. He claims to have been drugged by Jeffrey repeatedly, beaten with a metal bedpost, and repeatedly violated by him over the span of 18 months. Jeez. It came to the point where Billy had plans to literally kill Jeffrey. Not, not that anybody him. would blame him, exactly. <laughs> Billy would wake up and find himself tied up or would be in the midst of being violated. He would sometimes be exceptionally violent toward Billy when he would do this, allegedly once trying to mutilate Billy's body, if you will. Mm. I'm not going to go into full detail of that. Other times, Jeffrey would lie next to Billy and caress him and tell him that he loved him. God. Listen, last time I checked, that's not how love works. No. Real love is not one-sided like that. That's obsession, and that's psychotic. What he was doing, right? I'm not crazy thinking that. That was literally psychotic how Jeffrey was behaving. Now, Billy kept quiet about what happened to him for years. And now he runs a website where he tells his story. Billy believes that at that point he had suffered from Stockholm Syndrome because of what Jeffrey was doing to him. But again, not so much to the point that he wasn't planning on killing Jeffrey. If only he had had the chance, so many other lives would have been saved. Now, Stockholm Syndrome, that's that's where you start to feel... Uh, Sympathy for your captor. Okay. And clearly he was not to that level where he was okay with not killing Jeffrey. Right. Or at some point he came out of the Stockholm Syndrome mentality and realized the situation he was truly in. Billy also reportedly recalls that while the two were living in the same space, Jeffrey once came back from a long night out and had scratches on his face and arms and blood on his shirt. And this is, of course, just from people who came forward. We might never know the whole story of the things that Jeffrey did considering he was overseas at the time. So I feel like maybe if anybody, I don't know, in Germany wants to do some research of mysterious deaths of people or people who went missing and were never found maybe those could be tied to jeffrey i just a thought oh yeah but also it is really terrifying to think that he was a field medic in the army Uh, mm. like mm. yeah i don't really know what to do with that information but i'm still left disturbed by it nonetheless you too, right? Yeah, okay. like, it just makes me wonder if he ever, like, served to the point where he was on the field and did he just, like, 
let people die. I don't think that was the case. As you'll find out, we're about to get more into it, obviously. But uh, Jeffrey was a sexual sadist. He, if it didn't bring him sexual pleasure, it wouldn't have happened. And for the most part, it didn't seem like Jeffrey was intentionally trying to kill initially with this last batch of men. Just hear me out. After being discharged, he went back home to Ohio, where he was arrested later that year for disorderly conduct. His dad was pretty miffed, and I don't know if his mom was still in his life at this point, or if she just kind of gave up on him. But his dad said, enough is enough. You can't be trusted to live on your own anymore. More than he even knew. And (laughs) Jeffrey was sent to live with his grandma in Wisconsin. It was here that Jeffrey tried to get on the narrow path and committed for a short bit to going to church with Grandma and even practiced Christianity. Okay. Cool. Cool, I guess. But Jeffrey's true self, of course, came through every single time. And even though Grandma tried... I don't know her name, so I'm just going to call her Grandma. She's all of our Grandma now. (laughs) And even though Grandma tried to get him to get his act together, he kept drinking heavily. He wound up arrested yet again the next year, and this time it was for indecent exposure. Then, in 1986, he was arrested again when two boys reported him for masturbating in front of them. Oh, God. Yeah. Here's how messed up the legal system is, though. All he got was a one-year probationary period. Really? That's (laughs) it? Uh Uh-huh. In 1987, he committed his second murder, at least in America, because, again, we don't really know what he did overseas. But it's kind of odd to think of a serial killer who waited an entire decade between their first and second murder. That's really weird, because serial killers have that compulsion. Yeah. You're telling me that compulsion was silent for a decade? No, I don't believe that. This time, Jeffrey Dahmer killed a man named Stephen Tuomi, I think is how you say it. The two guys, they rented a hotel room together, and they started to drink, and they partied, and Jeffrey claimed to have no recollection of the night's events, only that he woke up to find this Stephen dead. But instead of reporting it and saying, hey, I blacked out, I don't know what happened, he went out and bought a large suitcase so he could transport Tuomi's body to his grandma's basement. Poor grandma. The basement is where he dismembered the body and then, and also, um, masturbated over the corpse before he disposed of the remains. Oh my, oh God, why? Oh no. You. Tell me about it. Here's what's bad. Grandma just thought that Jeffrey was a bad seed. She thought he had an alcohol dependency and no respect for authority. Well, little did she know that on those wild and late nights out, Jeffrey was bringing back men to her house in order to kill them, but it is what it is. But she got tired of... it. It's not what... Poor Grandma. That's all I'm trying to say. Poor Grandma. Was there not any smell in her house? I think he disposed of them quickly enough to where it didn't phase her. It takes a bit for bodies to reek. And if he was using the proper cleaning tools and chemical combinations. And did Grandma never need anything. have any reason to go down in the basement? I guess not. 
But either way, she got sick and tired of Jeffrey's mess and she says, you're out of here, kid. But, and in 1988, he was gone. He, she kicked him out. But not before he murdered two more people. God, did he kill Grandma? No, Grandma's fine. Again, Jeffrey was a sexual, sadistic weirdo who killed for lust. He wasn't lusting over Grandma. So Grandma, strangely enough, was safe. In 1988, Jeffrey crossed paths with a boy. And it should be mentioned before I get any further into this that Jeffrey preferred males of other ethnicities and color. Some men, some boys. Clearly, age didn't matter too much to him because this boy was a 13-year-old Laotian kid. Thankfully, this child did not die at Dahmer's hand, but he did have to suffer trauma because Dahmer sexually abused him. Jeffrey wound up being charged with sexual exploitation and second-degree sexual assault from their encounter. He pleaded guilty and said the most famous line of all sexual predators. He claimed the boy looked older than he actually was. That's not an excuse. I hate to break it to you people. I don't care how old the boy looked. I don't care if this boy looked like he was 40. He was still a boy. Maybe do your homework. Figure out how old the person actually is. I don't know. Maybe look at an ID every now and again. How does a 13-year-old look like an adult? They typically don't. It was just bullcrap that Jeffrey spouted to try to get off on a lighter sentence. Mm. While he was awaiting sentencing... He used Grandma's basement again for his sadistic pastimes, and in March of 1989, he lured, drugged, strangled, sodomized, photographed, dismembered, and disposed of an aspiring model by the name of Anthony Sears. His trial rolled around in May of 1989, and Dahmer played those working for the system. They're like, you know, pretty much like a fiddle. He pretended to be a changed man. He defended himself with the argument of how he has seen the error of his ways and that this arrest marked a turning point for him in his life. I have another question, because at this point he's killed a good... A couple people, yeah. A couple people. Yeah, yeah. Were people not looking for him? For the lost, the missing people? here's the thing. A lot of them were into partying. They were out on the streets. They weren't living under mom and dad's roof or with a significant other that cared for them to look for them, if that makes sense. They fended for themselves for the most part. And unfortunately, people from rougher parts of the neighborhood who don't really have that stable family and friend life, they can go missing for longer before anybody notices. That's really sad. It is. Because those people count. You know, they're people. Yeah. They matter too. And so basically, Jeffrey's pulling the, I'm sorry, Your Honor, I'll be a good boy from now on. Honest. While his fingers were crossed behind his back the entire time. His defense counsel argued that treatment not incarceration was the answer to everyone's problems. And the judge agreed. 
and he passed down a one-year sentence with day release, which allowed Jeffrey to go work at his day job. All he had to do was come back to spend the night at jail. Then he was granted a five-year probationary period. That was it. That is so confusing. It really is. So, I mean, essentially, he could leave, say that he went to work, right? Now, with the day release program, work has to, they're accountable for you. They have to make sure that you're there and they have to report that you're there, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So he wasn't like going off in the daytime and doing his killing. Jeffrey was pretty much a nighttime killer anyway, because he would go and get a lot of his victims from bars. Okay. So he didn't have, like, a really big window to yeah, I don't know go that to work, he... kill, and then be like, okay, Yeah, I don't think he jail. did his killings during his jail sentence. I think he tried to keep his nose clean during that one year. Okay. Yeah. But man, I bet that... That compulsion probably ate at him, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by this point, Jeffrey's dad was, he had his eyes pretty much open to how Jeffrey was. Lionel wasn't blinded to the fact that his son had some massive problems. You think? Well, I mean, listen, parents don't want to admit that their children are troubled or wicked or genuinely evil people, right? So I can't really hold it against Lionel too much, but at least Lionel did acknowledge that his son was not right in the noggin. It came out years later in an interview that Lionel had with CNN that he had written a letter to the court that he wanted Jeffrey to be given a psycho given psychological help before they even released him. Of course, that clearly never happened, but Lionel understood that his son was way more disturbed than the courts were trying to present. And... Remember how I said he was given the year sentence? Yeah. He only served 10 months of that. He almost made it the whole year. So what did they do? Let him out yep. two months early? They sure as sugar did. Mm-mm. But during he, his sentence, he was given a day pass to celebrate Thanksgiving with his family. After this Thanksgiving meal, Jeffrey got up. And he left to go have some drinks at some local gay bars. He ended up talking with this guy at the scene of many of Jeffrey's abductions, which was the 219 Club. And the two shared some drinks. And after drinking too much, Jeffrey blacked out. He did that a lot. I mean, a lot. He woke up the next morning hogtied in that guy's apartment, suspended from hooks and ropes from the ceiling. Say what? And not only that, Jeffrey awoke to being in the middle of being penetrated by a candle. Uh huh. Oh, Lord. So, dear Jeffrey found himself in pretty much the same situation of his own victims, and he screamed and demanded that the guy let him go. Well, Bar Guy was like, Yeah, sure, no problem, dude. And he let him go. Then Dahmer went to the police and reported the incident, pointing out that this time, quote, he was actually the victim, end quote. (laughs) Listen, I don't, I don't understand serial killers. I would have to be one to understand one, and that's not a career path I want. 
I have two things. Okay. One, that has to be one of the luckiest people to have survived meeting him. Because mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Given the fact that he was clearly Jeffrey's type because Jeffrey went home with him. Yeah. Right. And that he survived a night with drunk Jeffrey, which seems to make him activate killer mode into this man. Jeffrey does a lot. Yeah, you're right. Like somehow this guy got the upper hand on Jeffrey and hung him up on hooks, you said? Yeah, he was suspended by hooks and ropes. He wasn't, the hooks weren't like in his flesh or anything. He was tied up and the, the ropes were hung from hooks. Okay. Yeah. But, but still, he somehow overpowered Jeffrey. Yes, he did. Wild, right? Yeah. Huh. Maybe he drank himself a little too far into the black in, blackout stupor, you know? And also, you would think getting a taste of his own medicine would maybe change his own ways. Like, maybe, like... Oh, man, this kind of sucks. you have to think. Normal people probably would process that way. But Jeffrey was far from normal. Yeah. When Jeffrey was released, he moved back in with Grandma. Poor Grandma. Poor God. Poor, poor Grandma. But he didn't seem to commit any more crimes during his stay with her this time, so that's good. Good on Grandma. Not good on Jeffrey. He just went back to it eventually. But poor grandma. How could you do that to your grandparent? Mama gave you a roof over your head. Like maybe he had time to really reflect on what happened to him. Oh, he had time, but it it didn't stick. Didn't do anything. It didn't. Because he moved back to his own apartment. And that's when Jeffrey really decided to let himself go buck wild. Over the next two years, Jeffrey's victim count went up rapidly from four to seventeen. Holy cow. He came into his own set of rituals that he established as he went. He would experiment with chemicals for disposal of his victims, and he would at times devour the flesh of those he killed. So this is where like from the the You're from where his father taught him how to Yes. See what I mean? His dad inadvertently helped him dispose. Yeah. Jeffrey later admitted to consuming the thighs, hearts, and other organs of his victims. Dude, if you're into organ meat, we live in the South. We have this thing called liver mush. (laughs) It's not people liver, though. Yeah. If you have to satisfy that craving, there are animals with other organs. Don't eat people. I feel like that shouldn't have to be said. Don't eat people. Yeah. I think vegans and omnivores alike can agree that we should not be eating humans. Okay, thank you. I mean, animals have, you know, those organs too. Eat those. I mean... That's what I'm saying. If you got to. That's what I'm saying. Pull a Daenerys Targaryen. Eat a horse's heart. No, please don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't. That was a joke. But here's the kicker. It seems like murder wasn't his end goal, like I said earlier. Death was the unfortunate outcome. What Jeffrey would do is he would attempt crude lobotomies on his victims by drilling holes into their skulls while they were still kicking. Oh, God. Ugh. Ugh. And he would inject muriatic acid, 
and and other like hydrochloric acid that sort of stuff or boiling water even into the hole so part of the brain would be killed off oh god i can't imagine going through that that's basically jeffrey was trying to start the zompocalypse of a sexual category he wanted a zombie that would never leave him and that would serve him as a sex slave I mean, don't get me wrong, he liked killing because he killed more than once before he went for the whole lobotomy track, right? Right. But as he evolved as a serial killer, I hate that. I hate that we say that serial killers evolve because really it's more devolving. It's fine. But his methods and his desires may have also changed as his serial killing mutated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Couldn't he have just... Cause, Cause, clearly he find he kept going to those those bars, right. picking up men sure. that also found him attractive. Well, we don't really know if they found him attractive so much. Most of the time, it was the promise of money or drugs or alcohol, that sort of thing. Okay, but I mean, clearly there was enough gay people. At that time, like, why, why couldn't he just try to make a normal relationship? And like, maybe that because Jeffrey couldn't one. comprehend what a normal relationship was. He had those fantasies of being uh, of necrophilia. He had those fantasies of devouring human flesh and beating someone to death. That's not normal. You can't build a normal relationship around that. Yeah, I guess that kind of, that's a pretty moot point, huh? To even try? Yeah. On May 27th, 1991, in the early morning hours, Dahmer's neighbor Sandra Smith made a call to the police, stating that there was an Asian boy running around naked in the street. This boy was 14 years old. He also happened to be the younger brother of the boy that Dahmer had molested a few years prior. Oh, God. The one that he went to jail? That, yeah. that sent him to jail? Yeah. I say sent him to jail like the kid's the bad guy. I, I don't mean it like no. that. I mean like, thank goodness that boy sent him to jail. Yeah, at least he survived. <laughs> exactly. But unfortunately, that boy lost his younger brother later at the hands of the same man that hurt him. So here's what happened. Dahmer had encountered the boy the day before and offered him money to take him back to his apartment to take photos. See what I mean? It's not necessarily that they thought Jeffrey was an attractive man. Money is a very is a very attractive thing right. to people. And the boy agreed to take have his photos taken in exchange for money. But Jeffrey, of course, had other plans. Jeffrey performed his famous chemical lobotomy and led the boy to the bedroom. Jeffrey laid on the bed beside the boy for a little bit and drank some beer. He's so gross. Before getting up to go have some drinks at a bar. Again, he was an alcoholic, so why stop at the beer? That Jeffrey couldn't just stop at the beer. He was right. addicted. It's believed that the boy woke up and saw the bloated corpse of Jeffrey's previous victim, Tony Hughes. The lobotomy didn't take as well as Jeffrey would have hoped. 
This boy sees the body, freaks out, and runs outside totally nude. Neighbor Sandra sees the boy and calls 911. And Sandra wasn't the only witness either. There were three women in all who witnessed this. Jeffrey comes home, sees the boy with the women, and tries to convince these women to let him take the boy back to his apartment. He said the boy was a friend and tried to physically lead the boy away. Now, I'm just going to say right now, this boy did have a name. Does have a name. But... Because he was a child when all of this happened, I I just kind of want to keep that on the DL. If you really want to know the boy's name, just Google it, but I'm not going to say it here. Did they not notice the hole in the poor boy's If it was under his hair or something, that would have been hard to see. It's not like it's a big gaping hole this this big, you know? Right. And if it's dark, it would be hard to see too. So, he tries to physically lead the boy away from these women while trying to get them to let him go. And the women were like, no dice. We called 911. You can wait here for the cops. They saw through the garbage that Jeffrey was throwing their way. So, good on them. Yeah. But the police bought into it. They get there. Jeffrey says this kid, this 14-year-old boy, is his... 19 year old boyfriend and that the two had a domestic quarrel even though the boy was completely incoherent they let the boy go back into jeffrey's possession and why because of racism basically Dahmer was a white guy in a predominantly poor black neighborhood the police whether intentionally or not believed that believed in jeffrey because he was the nice looking white guy And they didn't want to get involved. It's not like they had examples like Ted Bundy or anyone to look at where a nice looking white guy was a total psycho or anything, right? Was Ted Bundy? Ted Bundy had already done his thing, yeah. Oh, wow. (sighs) Oh, that poor boy. And when the women objected, because they were like, look, cops, you, you can't let this kid go. This is a kid. He's clearly, something's wrong. We need to get him to a hospital or something, right? They objected. The cops literally told them to, quote, unquote, butt out and shut up. And even though this boy was bleeding from his rear end, and he physically struggled against Jeffrey's attempts to take him back to the apartment, the cops assisted Jeffrey into getting the boy back into the apartment. That is so not okay. (laughs) They cover the boy with a towel and they escort him and Dahmer back to, back to Dahmer's home. They took one cursory look around. They didn't even go into any of the rooms. They just glanced in there and then they left. If they had gone any further into the apartment and they had even just cracked open Jeffrey's door, they would have found the actual corpse In his bedroom. And everything would have ended then and there. And this boy would have lived. And I mean, shouldn't they have just looked at the boy and say, oh man, there's blood coming out of him. Maybe we should, you know, get, uh, I don't know, like a, not an EMT, but 
Would it be an EMT? Well, yeah, you might want to call an ambulance, get some emergency medical yeah, techs out okay. there, sure. Like someone, you know, check the boy out. Some medical sure professionals. Okay. Sure, sure. It listen, I don't <sighs> Tell me about it. By this time, Jeffrey was killing around a person a week. And on this day, he led a 32-year-old man named Tracy Edwards to his apartment after promising money in exchange for company. See what I mean by money? By yeah. how he used money? Also, that's a lot of people. One a week? Yeah. My God. Dahmer held a butcher knife to Tracy and forced him into the bedroom. But Tracy was not going to just accept his fate at Dahmer's hands. The two struggled, and Tracy managed to break free. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. Two Milwaukee officers picked up Tracy when they found him wandering the streets with handcuffs dangling from his wrists. He then led these cops to Dahmer's place after claiming that a quote-unquote weird dude had drugged him and restrained him. And thank goodness these cops were actually committed to doing their job. Because they go to Jeffrey's apartment, and Jeffrey was just calm as can be. No problems for him. And he even offered to get the keys for the handcuffs to take them off of Tracy. Well, Tracy told the officers that the knife Jeffrey had threatened him with was in the bedroom, and the officers wanted to corroborate the story. Look, cops who actually do their jobs. Yay. When one of the officers went in, they noticed Polaroids of dismembered human bodies just lying around. And that was all it took for the officers to subdue Jeffrey Dahmer and take him in. Thank goodness his reign of terror was over. Yay. Investigators came in to do a more thorough investigation of the apartment, and they found some interesting stuff, to say the least. There was a human head in the fridge, three more in the freezer, along with a human heart, seven preserved skulls, jars of genitalia, and a vast array of Polaroid photos of his victims. Woo-wee! There was also an altar constructed in the closet with candles and some of those skulls. Listen, this is madness. Pure madness. Also, ew. Just ew. You know? And why, why skulls and... Um, well, I think the heart was for consumption. So right, can... right. Uh, well, considering that Jeffrey's thing was necrophilia, do with that information what you will. Oh, no. Uh -huh. I don't want to think... No, uh, you probably don't. Mm. But that's probably why I kept the human heads. Oh, God, that's so gross. And I want to say there was even a vat of decomposing corpses in a vat of chemicals. Hmm. Yeah. Dahmer's trial began January of 1992. There was apparently some racial tension during the trial, given that the victims were mostly people of color, and there was only one member of the jury that was a person of color. There were security precautions taken, including an eight-foot barrier of bulletproof glass to separate Dahmer from the gallery. And I don't think anyone tried to harm Dahmer in court, but if I'm being perfectly honest, nobody would blame someone for trying. 
Definitely not. Lionel and his second wife, a.k.a. Jeffrey's stepmom, attended every bit of the trial. Initially, Dahmer pleaded not guilty to every single charge they brought up against him, even though he straight up confessed during his interrogation. He later changed his plea to trial. I'm sorry. His, he later changed his plea in trial to guilty by reasons of insanity. And his defense used some of his disturbing behavior and gruesome details as proof that only an insane person could have committed the acts that Jeffrey committed. I mean, they're not wrong. They're not wrong in the sense of no sane person would behave this way. Yeah. But you have to think, Jeffrey knew right and wrong. Because if he didn't, he wouldn't have taken the efforts to cover up his crimes. That's very true. He dismembered human bodies. He disposed of his victims. He did proper, proper cleanup. He... Everything was premeditated. He made the effort to go out to the bars or to go find these these men and these boys to bring back to his apartment. There were all these chances he could have stopped and said, you know what? I don't want to be this way. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to go get help. I'm going to go turn myself in. He didn't. So, I mean, even though he wasn't completely sane, the reason of insanity thing just could not stick. That he clearly knew what he was up to. Right. And luckily the jury wasn't fooled when they sided with the prosecution on the idea that Jeffrey was completely aware of his actions. And on February 15th, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer was found guilty on all charges after only 10 hours of deliberation. He was sentenced to 15 consecutive life terms, which was later up to 16 that May. So 16 life terms... Consecutive, so they were. It was one after the other. It wasn't all served to be to be served together. Now, a life term is. It really depends, I think, on the state, but I think it's usually between twenty-five and thirty years. That's typically how long you have to serve before you can appeal for parole. I think I'm not quite sure how that works. So we'll we'll just say at minimum twenty-five. Yes. Twenty-five times. Four hundred years. Wow. Why didn't why didn't they just say you have like you'll just because they wanted to make sure that it it was that they wanted to count for every individual okay because he had to pay for every individual that he took their life you know but I feel like sixteen was lowballing well he killed seventeen people so I don't know why he just seventeen that's what it said hmm. I don't know why I didn't get a life sentence for the 17th, or I don't know what happened there. Unless they counted Tracy as a victim and Tracy survived, so. But man, going through all this, it kind of sounds like he killed a good bit more than 17. Actually, I feel like I didn't cover nearly enough because I didn't cover 16, 17 people. Yeah. Yeah. And he could have very well killed more, like I said. Remember, he did a stint in the army, so there's no telling. But still, 400 years, unless he's like some freak, immortal... Vampire man? Yeah. He's not Keanu Reeves. Yeah. (laughs) Also, uh, he didn't even finish his first life sentence. 
it's reported that Jeffrey adjusted pretty well to his new life in prison. He was kept out of Gen Pop initially, but eventually authorities thought, okay, this guy seems to have calmed down a little bit. Maybe we can let him around as fellow prisoners. Mm-mm. Fine. Mm-mm. Jeffrey allegedly committed himself to religion. Well, it was a mistake, but not because Jeffrey hurt anybody else. But he supposedly committed himself to religion. He was sent books and photos by his dad. So even though his dad knew that his kid was a monster, his dad still loved him. That's what parents do, you know? They they love us. He was even granted permission by the Columbia Correctional Institution to be baptized by a local pastor. So he seemed to be pretty committed to this idea. But do with this information what you will. I'm not... Right. I'm not painting him to be a good guy by any means. But, um, Aaron, Mm -hmm. your sixth birthday was not just your sixth birthday. Really? On November 28th, 1994, Jeffrey Dahmer was killed by fellow prisoner Christopher Scarver. Dahmer was assigned to work with two other convicted murderers, Scarver and Jesse Anderson. They had been left alone to complete their tasks, which sounds super responsible on the guard's part, and Scarver (laughs) proceeded to bludgeon Jeffrey and Jesse both with a metal bar from the prison weight room. Oh, that came full circle, didn't it? Because his first killing was a barbell. It did. Wow, such irony. Oh, God, and it was iron. Mm, How about, well, it was metal. We don't know that it was iron. Yeah. But... Jeffrey was pronounced dead one hour after the attack, and Jesse succumbed to his injuries a few days later. In 2015, Scarver was interviewed by the New York Post and was asked why he did it. Scarver said he was, quote, disturbed by Dahmer's crimes and by the habit Dahmer had of fashioning severed limbs from prison food to antagonize other inmates, end quote. Dahmer and Anderson had apparently taunted Scarver during their work detail, and Scarver confronted Dahmer about his criminal past before beating both men to death. He also claimed that the prison guards allowed the murder to take place by leaving them alone. Wow. And... Of course, there's more information about Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. out there, but that's all I'm going to present today because this episode's probably running just a wee bit longer than typical here. But it's a good episode to kick off season three with, I think. Wow, we that's cool to know that he was... That your birthday is also the anniversary of Dahmer's death, yes. Neat. That's where you were going with that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wild. Oh, hello. So, you know, some people share a birthday with the original Pink Power Ranger, and some people share a birthday with the anniversary of Jeffrey Dahmer's death. It happens, you know? Birthday, death day. Sure. Mm -hmm. I don't like the look in his eye, guys. What? I mean, it's... I'm not trying to be morbid, but at the same time, you know. You are sitting there and you're you're trying to hold in the giddy that you're sharing a birthday with the same day that Jeffrey Dahmer was literally beaten to death. I just think it's pretty neat. Okay. I don't have a lot of things. That you share your birthday with. Yeah. I know. Besides random Thanksgiving. But here's my question. Viewers, listeners alike, 
should I be concerned about the man I'm married to? No, she's fine. She's fine. As all my friends listening, no, run away. Kelsey, Vicky, you ready to pack our bags? Let's go. We're going to go find an island. Not inhabited by cannibals. That wasn't a Jeffrey Dahmer reference. That was a fact that we play the forest. Ha, ha, ha. Not a fact. That was a reference to the fact that we play the forest. That sentence made more sense. Oh, before we go. Fun fact. In 1996, a group of Milwaukee businessmen managed to raise over $400,000 to buy the murder paraphernalia used by Dahmer to kill and subdue his victims. This included blades, saws, handcuffs the infamous refrigerator that he used to store his body parts and other items these businessmen literally destroyed the items in an attempt to wipe him and his deeds off the history of his hometown give Uh, okay at first like not gonna lie i thought that was like these people had some really weird fetish with this dude but then to hear that they were Getting rid of it, okay, that's... It seems pretty. Yeah. On the up and up, yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean that somebody out there doesn't have something that Jeffrey Dahmer used and has it in some kind of storage cabinet with a di- or a display case somewhere, but for the most part, these businessmen wanted to buy up as much as they could and get rid of it all. Good for them. Good, good for you guys. Yeah. But given how big of a name that Dahmer made for himself, I don't think it worked too well. I mean, Milwaukee's still known for Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm sorry. Yeah. There's no getting rid of that. Sorry. Yeah. Also, since we're here in season three, we are wearing matching shirts. I'm I'm cold, so I'm wearing my Christmas gift from one of our best but friends. Yeah. But we it, have merch, guys. Yeah. Look at... And when I say this is one of the softest shirts I own, this is it literally is one of the softest so shirts I own. so nice. It is so soft. I've washed this thing about five, six times, and usually by then they start to feel like regular shirts to me, but no, this thing is super soft and comfortable, you and will, I might actually sleep in the shirt tonight. You will not de- regret this level of comfort. No. And if you want to purchase one for yourself and spread the word by being a walking billboard for us, and also, you know, have something to clothe yourself with. I mean, it's a pretty- doesn't need clothes. It, it's a pretty sweet design. I must say. Thank you. Thank you. And if but, you want to look cool just like we do, go oh, get yourself Overselling one. it, honey. Overselling it. Okay. Yeah, but link to our Teespring is somewhere on this YouTube page. I need to make a link tree. So I might work on that before too long. I don't know. But search for Crime and Theory on Teespring and this shirt at least should pop right up. We also have some cute stuff with... A little black-eyed kid that Aaron worked on because one of my earliest episodes was on the black-eyed kids. And it freaked Aaron out so much that we now have black-eyed kid merch that he designed. Weird. But here we are. She's really cute. She's super cute. We made them a little less scary. You know? Love that. But Aaron, do you have anything else you want to say? Um... Stranger Danger mm, yeah. is clearly for real. So don't go accepting money from people that... That you don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, if Grandma wants to give you Christmas money, that's yeah, fine. Yeah, but. yeah, But I mean, this is clearly a good story 
to tell maybe not your kids, but... I mean, you can give them a cleaned up version of yeah. this man killed people yeah. that he met in public places. And he was a stranger to them. See, stranger danger. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah, I think so. I think this was a really good... Kickoff. Yeah. Is that a football term? I don't know. I don't do sports. But in that case, stay safe this week, guys. Maybe avoid mysterious strangers in a bar because they might want to consume your flesh. Mm -hmm. And as always, don't get haunted. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.